Lay down your hurts. Lay down your sorrows. You know, Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. That was, that was his statement. That was what he desired that we do. And uh, you know where you lay him down? You lay him at the foot of the cross. Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross, we all are equal in him. And we all bring our hurts and our sorrows and our habits and our hang-ups and all those issues. And we lay them there and he takes them for us. And uh, what a wonderful thing to realize that we have a God who loves us that much and carries those for us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 19. We're going to go back there for a few minutes this morning. But you remember last week, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about why we thank God. Why, why is it that we participate in Thanksgiving, not just one day of the year, but we should be doing it every day of the year. But why do we do that? And we talked a little bit about it. And then last week we began to talk about eight things or nine things that we should be giving thanks for. And we began with just the fact that we give thanks for who God is. Boy, an amazing, amazing God. There is no being in the universe. We can't even begin to comprehend who God is. We know some about his attributes. We study those things. We have scriptures but to really comprehend God, it, it goes beyond what we as humans can do. But we also thank him not only for who he is, but because of all the great things he's done. And we talked a little bit about his creation and the immensity of God and the power of God and the authority of God. And then we said we should thank God for creating us. Psalms 139, it talks about God saw us while we were created in our mother's womb that he knew every day that we were going to experience everything in every day that we were going to experience before we were ever born. That's so amazing to realize that our God knows what we're going through. We get so uptight and so concerned about things, and yet God already knows all about it, and he knows what's going to happen as a result of it. And uh, his desire is that we simply turn to him, that we bring those issues to him, and he carries them for us. Be anxious for nothing. It says that with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, bring your anxieties to God. And you know what he says? I'll give you peace. Didn't say I'm going to clear everything up. He simply said I'm going to give you peace. And I'll help you to get through that. And then we talked about the fact that because of our lostness, because of the sin of Adam and sin invaded the entire human race, God provided a way of salvation for us. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. Without that, there is no hope. And yet God loves us so much that he gave his son for us, that he would die for us. Christmas is all about Jesus Christ coming, God becoming man. Well, I think we focus too much on the baby and not enough on the God. And not a fact, enough on the fact of the sacrifice he made in our behalf. So as, as we get into today, I want to talk about the fact that God gave us two methods of revelation uh, of who he is and what he has for us and uh, first is general revelation. We talked a little bit about that last week as we went into Psalms 19. And in the very first verse there, it says, The heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hand. And all you have to do is look at the creation. Look at the universe, and you begin to realize it just didn't all come into place by accident. It wasn't just a... Something that, that we can't explain that just it all came into existence. There, there is such order. There is such organization. There is such purpose in what we see that we understand it goes well beyond that. It had, there has to be a grand designer. 
I, I was looking it up, and it says with the naked eye, we can see about 2,500 stars. That's amazing. You go out at night, not here in the Bay Area. you got to go where you can see the stars. I went out the other night, and I saw some stars. I said, amazing. There they are. They're there. But if you go out into a high plateau area, desert area, into the mountains, no light around, you can look up, and it says with the naked eye, we can see about 2,500 stars. If you have the equipment... If you have an amazing telescope, you can see myriads and myriads of stars. They're innumerable. We can't really even count them. There's so many of them. And when we look at space, you know, they're talking about going to the moon again and talking about going to Mars. And uh, we, we don't talk about distance in space so much by miles as we do light years. Uh, it, it amazes me when you begin to think of a light year. A light year has to do with... With the, the amount of distance light travels, it travels 186,282 miles per second. I don't know who figured that out. Maybe they had a little gun and they shot something that was coming. I, I don't know. But that is amazing when you begin to think about anything traveling that distance in that amount of time. Well, if, if you take it, because we're going to look at a light year, you measure that by, or you multiply that by 60, that 1,800 and... 1,008, anyway, 186,282 miles per second by 60, you find out how many miles it goes in a minute. And then you multiply that by 60 times again, and you get how far it goes in an hour. And then by 24 hours to the day, and then you multiply it by 365 days in a year, and you've got light year. I'm told that's about 6 trillion miles a year. Wow, you're, you're wrapping your head around that. That's, that's six with a lot of zeros after it. In fact, I'm told it's about 12, or is 12. And so, to be exact, that's, that's what we're talking about in terms of a light year. Well, they say the brightest star in our hemisphere uh, that we can see is Sirius. It is the, uh, the lead star in the constellation Canis Major. I, I like what, or Majoris, I like what one... Uh, preacher said, he says, uh, Canis Majoris, that means big dog. And this really is the big dog. This is the brightest star that we can see. And it's out there about nine light years. That means if you look up and you see that star, and, and you're looking at it, the light you're seeing today or tonight left that star nine years ago. Let's say it went out eight years ago. You're still seeing the light, but the star's dead. I don't think it is, but that would be the case. And so we begin to understand that God created this. They say with the Hubble telescope, when the Hubble telescope came into existence, Hubble created it. He began to realize that the, um, the, the, the worlds out there, the creation, the galaxies were moving out, which gave us proof that there was a beginning time, that it didn't always exist. Something brought it into existence, and I believe that something is the grand designer. We believe that that something is God. If you go back to the 19th chapter again in verse 2, it says, The heavens, or day to day, pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. 
And when we begin to talk about this general revelation and who God is, the creator of all things, it helps us begin to understand his immensity, his greatness, his power, his authority. But it doesn't totally tell us who he is, does it? It doesn't really tell us what he desires from us. And so God in his love and care gave us what we call special revelation. And uh, that's found right here. It's the Bible. And in the Bible, God tells us about, uh, he gives us an understanding of who he is. We begin to get some of those attributes down. He, he tells us how much he loves us. He tells us about his relationship to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, the triune God. He tells us uh, so many things about who we are and how we can have a relationship with him. And so when I'm talking about giving thanks today, I want to talk beginning with the idea of giving thanks for the word. You know, so often we read it, but do we stop and say, wow, God, thank you for me, for the Bible. Thank you that you provided it for me. Thank you for the wisdom and the insight and the knowledge that I gained from it. Thank you for what I learn about you from the Bible. It begins in verse 7. The first six verses have to do with the general revelation, with the creation. And then in verse 7, it begins to talk about this special revelation. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It's what God gave us. You know, uh, you go back into the New Testament, and it gives you an idea of how we got the Bible. First um, Peter or Second Peter, chapter one, in the twentieth and twenty-first verses. These are verses I think we should all go back to and understand where they are and what they are. But it says, but no, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, no part of the Bible is a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not just your idea or my idea or some man that came along and said, oh, I think I'll write a Bible. For no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will, but men moved, and, and, and the idea is moved along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. What it really tells us there is the Bible is God's message to us. It's what God has given to us. It's what God desires for us. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, it says all Scripture. Every bit of the Scripture here is inspired by God. It's profitable, and it tells us it's profitable for how we live, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that you and I might be equipped and adequate for every good work. And so we go back here, and we give thanks to God for it. Some people have called this God's love letter to man. This is God. It says God is love. That's one of his great attributes. This is God's love letter to you. Others have said this is our instruction manual for how to live. Somebody took an acrostic and they said it's basic instruction before leaving earth. I think that's a good one. Basic instruction before leaving earth. It tells us how to live, tells us how to have a relationship with his amazing God that created all things, that he loves us, that he cares for us, he sent his son to die for us. It's all there. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. That word perfect means complete. 
means there doesn't need to be anything added to it or taken away from it. It is complete in how God has given it to us, and we don't need anything else to be added to it. It gives us the idea of how to live. I, I think the problem with humanity is rather than looking at what God tells us how to live, we get more caught up with our rights. What's my right? What's God going to do for me? How's he going to meet my nights? Uh, you know, we hear it all the time. We hear about people that talk about minority rights and women's rights and kids' rights and workers' rights and athletes' rights and children's rights, animal rights. The list, list goes on and on and on. You want to know something? If we simply go back to the Bible and live according to the principles, the precepts that we find in Scripture, those are all taken care of. You don't have to worry about them. God takes care of them. All of those issues that we struggle with. In verse 8 it goes on, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Precepts, that's really what they are as commandments. Uh, they're the specifics. No sexual immorality. God says that's not to happen. Don't repay evil for evil. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. That's where we are today. That's where we are this month. They're not judgment calls. They're just, you do this. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you love me, if you really love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not a matter of going back and looking at the commandments and say, well, let's, let's talk about it a little bit and see if we really like it or whether we don't like it. It's a matter of doing what God calls us to do. That's simply it. Now, there are also principles there's precepts, there's principles. Principles are more judgment calls. You look at the Bible and you say, well, based on what I see in the Bible, this is how we should live. And I remember when I was a boy, we had a lot of principles that we lived by. People would almost say that this was the precept. Um, how many of you remember back when women would not wear pants to church? Only dresses. Yeah. You know, or how many of you remember back when women could not wear jewelry? Yeah, that goes back. Or makeup. You don't wear makeup. Things have changed, haven't they? These things are not necessarily in Scripture, but people come up with principles based on what they read. Sometimes the principles are good, sometimes they aren't. You want to know something? The more you know about the Bible and the more you know about God's Word, the better your principles are going to be. And you're going to have a true understanding of how we ought to live. Uh, I remember uh, when I first started in the ministry, I wouldn't have thought of getting up here without a tie on. Summer, I wear a short sleeve shirt and no coat. Boy, I never would have done that when I first started in the ministry. I always had at least a, a sport coat on, if not a full suit. You know, and I, and I remember one year preaching, dress your best, you're here to worship God. And I had a, a gal, just about everybody else in the church was wearing a dress, and she came up to me and she was in slacks, a really nice slacks, looked very nice. And as a result of my message, she didn't ever come back again. And I thought, how sad we got so caught up, or I got so caught up in a principle that we weren't really dealing with the precepts and we weren't really dealing at that point with what Scripture said. We need to have good principles, but they're based on knowing the Word. 
And we need to give thanks for the word that God has given to us. The better you know the word and the precepts in God's word, the better you are determining how you're going to live and the principles. I read a statement this last week. I want to read it to you. It says, the problem today is ambiguity. We see it today in basic areas of biblical theology. It can be traced back to the roots of the rejection of the infallibility of the Bible. That means that the Bible, you know, the view whether it has error or doesn't have error. When a pastor preaches, he is not to unfold his own personal convictions. He is to tell what the Bible teaches and then how it is to be applied. He is to accept the Bible literally the way it was intended by the Holy Spirit when he gave it to the men who wrote it down. We spend too much time trying to make it personally relevant or culturally relevant or theologically relevant instead of relevant to what God gave us. The only thing that's as important is what God gave us and what the Holy Spirit gives us. The Holy Spirit led men to write down what they needed to write down, but then God sent the Holy Spirit back here to help us understand what they wrote down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, it says, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard, which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, or to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. So the Spirit was the one who revealed what was true. This is the Bible. This is what we're talking about giving thanks for. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, you don't know exactly what I'm thinking other than I'm the only one that really has an understanding of that. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, who was given to us by God, who is himself deity, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't think a person can truly understand the Bible until we're Christians, until the Holy Spirit's living in us. Because the Spirit has to illumine our hearts and our minds to really understand what God has. And too often there are people in the world today who try to interpret what Scripture says. They determine this is what it should be, and they've missed it. Boy, when we come to the Bible, we need to, we need to be literal in how we read it. And translation, it's, it's given by God. And when we begin to adjust it to fit our culture, or we begin to adjust it even to fit our theology, we have a problem. You see, if someone has a theology and they begin to interpret Bible to fit their theology, then the probability is they're going to have a problem. But if you have the Bible, your theology, what you believe about God and everything that God says has to come out of Scripture. Not out of what someone has taught you, but what does the Bible teach? What does it say? If we take the Bible and we say, well, that doesn't fit into exactly what I know, that must be symbolic. But it's stated very literally something in Scripture. Then we need to go back and say, well, what's true and what isn't? I listened to a speaker this last week. I was online and I was 
listening to some different individuals, and this guy is well known as a, a theologian. And, and he got into the issue of, is there a thousand-year reign at the end of the age? And he said, well, that no, because we know that it is right. doesn't fit his theology. And he says, that you, where it's there, it's symbolic in the Bible. It, it, doesn't, it isn't real. It may be a thousand years, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand, whatever seems to fit. And I, I went back and I thought, no. The minute we begin to take things that can be taken literally and make them symbolic, whether from the Old Testament or the New Testament, we are on a very, very slippery slope. Because we're going to slip further and further away from what God has for us. This is the word of God. He's given to us. It's true. It's wonderful. And you go back and you say, what does it say literally? Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Oh, they're more desirable than gold. Yes, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I, I don't know about you. How many of you have ever taken a honeycomb and you've just uh, cut it up and you've eaten a little of it, you know, and you got the honey in there? Anybody do that? Uh, there's a few. I remember when I was a boy, we lived right down the street from a guy who had beehives. And you could go down and you didn't just buy the honey, you bought the honeycomb. And we'd take that home and we'd open it up and we'd chew on that wax. And, and the honey was in there. And, oh, it was so sweet. The drippings of the honeycomb. And, and, and it says that's what the word of God is like. It says sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so the first thing we do is we give thanks for the word of God. That's how God communicates with us. And if you feel that God is communicating some other way, okay, but does it agree with Scripture? If it doesn't agree with Scripture, it's not from God. And God gave us this. It is his love letter. It is his manual to you and me. It's what prepares us to leave this earth. Instructions before leaving planet Earth. Second thing I want to talk about giving thanks for, and uh, we're just going to touch on it briefly, and I won't get to the third one this morning, but we give thanks for prayer. And I, I think specifically for answered prayer. Uh, God speaks to us through his word. The Holy Spirit enlightens it, makes it available to us, and we communicate back to God through prayer. And, uh, you know, I, the prayer is, is probably one of the most universally practiced and most understood things that we have. Uh, people are always saying if there's a crisis situation, we call you to pray for these people. And yet oftentimes there are people that don't pray themselves or don't know how and they don't have that relationship with God. And, and then for the people that they call to pray, if they, those individuals like you and I come and say what we believe, that we, we don't want to hear that. But we want you to pray. Prayer found chapter after chapter in the scriptures. The Gospels, every time somebody came to Jesus, it was prayer. Did you realize that? 
when they spoke to Jesus because he was God, it was prayer. They would come and say, could you heal us? Could you make this individual to see? Can you make this individual to walk? Can you minister and give us food? The lepers came. There were 10 lepers. We looked at them a few weeks ago. And they said, can you heal us? Have mercy on us, son of God. Well, they prayed. And uh, we need to be individuals who pray. And we need to be thankful for what God does. You know, uh, true prayer is a prayer of faith. And for the sake of time, you can look back in Luke chapter 5. But uh, I think of the story of a man who was not able to walk. He was an invalid. He was on a, a bed, and he had some friends who were so concerned, and they heard Jesus was going to be at a certain home, and so they went there. They took him on that bed, and they couldn't get into the house, and so they climbed up on the roof, and they began to remove all of the sod and everything that was on the roof so they could get down to Jesus. They could take the pallet the man was on, and they could lower it down to Jesus, and Jesus would heal him. And if you remember that story, there were Pharisees, there were scribes, there were some of the religious leaders of the day sitting in there with Jesus, listening to him. And I can imagine what it was like as that dirt began to drop down, and they were all looking up, and what's happening up there? And then that pallet came down through, and it said, Jesus, seeing their faith, healed the man, forgave him of his sin. And we, we look at the whole idea of, of prayer, and it begins with faith. It begins with believing that God hears and God responds. And if we pray without that faith, uh, we can't expect much. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, it speaks of the fact that we should come boldly before God. If you go back to uh, Hebrews 4, beginning in the 14th verse, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of, of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold fast to our faith, to our belief. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you hear that? It says, let us draw near with boldness, with confidence. And so we come confidently before God knowing that he hears us because that's what it says. Because Jesus went to the cross for us. That's why I can come boldly. That's why I can come with confidence. Another thing I need to do if I am praying before the Lord, I need to come humbly. Just because I'm confident in coming because of what Jesus did for me, it doesn't mean that I come arrogantly, but I come boldly. It, it, you go back to the Old Testament, and God was speaking to the nation of Israel, and I believe the principle can come across today. In, in verse 14 of Second Chronicles chapter 7, it says, And my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But it begins with humility seeing ourselves in relationship 
to who God is. Not arrogantly, not demanding of God. Coming and admitting our sin, knowing that we are not worthy of God. Not worthy of what he does for us. But we come with humility. First Peter chapter 5, in the 5th and 6th verses, it says, And you younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then you cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And so we, we need to come humbly before him. We need to come boldly because of what Jesus has done, but we need to come in humility. We need to come, and I believe, first of all, before we make a lot of demands on God, which tends to be what we oftentimes do in prayer, we need to come and admit our needs, admit our sinfulness. We go back to uh, Psalm 38. David was praying here. And in the 38th Psalm, verses 15 to 18, he says, For I hope in you, O Lord. I hope in you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. For I said, May they not rejoice over me. He's talking about his enemies, those who, when my, slip, my foot slips, will magnify themselves against me. They're going to look at me and put me down. He says, For I'm ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me. And then in verse 18, for I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. When we come to God, God hears us. God, here's our prayer. I have no doubt about that. We're going to look at that in just a moment. He hears and he understands our need. And we need to understand we can come boldly before him because of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus did. But we also need to come humbly. We need to see ourselves in relationship to Jesus Christ. Christ is perfect, we're not. And we also need to look at our lives and understand, are there ways that we have slipped and fallen? Is there presumptuous sin within my life that I just continue to do because I think it's okay? It affects our relationship with God. If a child does something that is in opposition to the will of their parents, and then they come and say, well, I'd like a new toy, I'd like some new clothes, I would like this and this and this, and the parent says, but where, what about this? You disobeyed, you said things that you shouldn't have said, you've acted in ways you shouldn't act, you treated your brother or sister with disdain, you were mean. And they'll kind of go, well, yeah, but I'd still like this. Is the parent going to give it to them? I hope not. Because the child never learns. It's the same way with us. When we've come before our Heavenly Father and, and, and we're living outside of the will of God, we need to come back and say, wow, Lord, 
I'm not where I should be, and I ask your forgiveness, and repentance comes with a change of heart and a change of mind and a change of direction. And so when we come with prayer, and, and, and we're here to thank God for answered prayer, we need to come humbly before him. We need to come seeking his forgiveness. And then we need to know that when we do pray that God hears us, boy, that's, that's all about our faith. Back in, in 1 John chapter 5, I, I memorized this verse long ago. Do you know, I, I heard something the other day, and uh, we need to get back to some things. It says people don't memorize anymore. We don't even have to memorize people's cell numbers they're all on our phone. If I were to ask you, what's your, your spouse's cell number? Maybe you know that. But if I said, what's your best friend's cell number? Well, let me give my phone. I'll check it out. We don't remember numbers so well. We don't memorize things anymore because it's not necessary. Boy, I think we ought to memorize the Word of God. First John 5, 14 and 15, it says, this is the confidence. This is the assurance which we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. There it is. It's an assurance. If I'm asking according to, did you get that? Not my will. His will. And it says, if we know that he hears us in what we ask for, he responds. He hears. He React. Sometimes he gives us things that are better than what we ask for or different than what we ask for. There's a passage that's uh, dear to Darlene and I. It's found back in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. And, and Paul is speaking about the fact that he had a, a vision of heaven or he had been to paradise. He was caught up and he says uh, he heard inexpressible words there that a man is not permitted to speak. He wasn't allowed to tell others, and he wasn't allowed to boast about it. And then in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, because of what I had seen, because of what I experienced, for this reason, to keep me from boasting about myself, exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, we don't know what that was. It may have been physical, it may have been relational. It, some people think it was that he couldn't see very well. Uh, there's a lot of different ideas. We don't know exactly what it was, but it says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness, and Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might dwell in me. God sees us through those hard times, and sometimes we pray and say, God, I want this removed. I want this taken away. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore, and God simply says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to see you through it. And I don't know what you're struggling with and dealing today. I, I know people that will come to me and say, God didn't answer my prayer. He 
He didn't always say he was going to do what we ask. He said sometimes he'd give us peace. But he did say, I'll give you grace. If you're putting your trust and your faith in me, I'll give you grace. That you can endure and deal with it. And then I, I think as we're ending here this morning, we're not going to get into the last section that I had on giving thanks for, uh, for victory over sin, and I think that's such an important one. But in, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, Moses had been coming to God on behalf of the Israelites, and in chapter 14, God said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> why, why do you keep coming? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. You know what he's saying? Get up and move. Sometimes we just sit around, we pray, and expect God to take care of it. And what God says is, you need to get busy. You need to be obedient. You need to move. I think oftentimes we pray for things and we think, well, why didn't God answer this? And why didn't God answer that? And maybe instead of saying, God, I want this and this and this and this, we ought to say, God, what do you want me to be doing? And how do you want me to serve you? And see, then if God doesn't come along and meet the needs. Answers to prayer. I, I bet every one of us, or the majority of us, can say, wow, this is where God answered prayer in my life. This is where God provided for me in my life. This is where God made a difference for me in my life. And we build faith as a result of that. But we give thanks for that. And when we fail to give thanks... We fail to have the relationship we need. And so I'd say today, number one, we need to give thanks for the word of God because it gives us instruction in terms of who God is and how to have a relationship with God and what God wants us to be like. It comes to us from God. It's, it's our instruction manual. It's our love letter. And the Holy Spirit makes it evident to us what it says. But then... We need to give thanks for answered prayer. We need to be a thankful people. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God desires our appreciation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we realize that, wow, we have so much to be thankful for. If we just sit down and start a list, we couldn't, Probably wouldn't have enough paper to write it all down, if we're honest. So much to give thanks for. We oftentimes start with our families. We start with your provision, dinner, whatever. We start with friendships. We start, we think about our salvation. We, uh, all those things that we have to be thankful for, the clothes that we wear, the homes we live in, the cars we drive, the fuel to drive the car, whatever our fuel is. Father, we have so much to just, just thank you for because it all comes from you. And so I pray as we leave this place this morning, we would be a thankful people. As we come to this last week of our study on uh, the season of Thanksgiving, I pray that we would take time each day when we get up in the morning and before we go to bed at night to just stop and thank you 
for the blessings that are ours, whether it's blessing, <laughs> whether it's thanking you for who you are and what you've done and thanking you that you created us the way we are, such complex and amazing individuals and that even though we've fallen, you still loved us and you provide a way for us to have a relationship with you. Father, you loved us so much that you provided the Bible so that we could have communication with you. You could communicate with us and let us know what it is you desire for us and you gave us the opportunity to pray, to come boldly into your presence, to before the throne of grace, uh, to come humbly, to seek your forgiveness. And you've said, Father, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and righteous every time to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, we give thanks. I thank you for each person here this morning. I pray that you would touch their hearts and their lives and draw them close. And might they truly experience your love in a special way this week as they just take time to thank you for the blessings that you've showered upon them. As a church, we give thanks. As we move into the communion service, Father, we give thanks for what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. In his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that we stand.